solve life's riddles are answered in the movies. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Night with Will and Noah. Thank you so much for being with us. I am Noah Gattel, film critic for The Rye Record and a few other places. And with me here on the podcast is my friend, my co-host, my everything, Will. Say hello, Will. Hello, Will. And hello, Noah. Um, <laughs> Noah, I just want to jump in on a second here. I think at times you and I are accused, often probably by mostly our spouses, that we mm -hmm. too often see life through the context of movies that we've seen you know that uh mm -hmm. rather than reality informing films for us the films inform reality do you ever do you ever feel that way whoa well okay i'm i was not prepared to delve into the the deepest recesses of my dysfunctional psyche so early on in the podcast but i would have to say yes that's certainly something i've struggled with i think you know when i got into film which was in my late teens and early 20s it's uh you know, it was a confusing time in life, and uh, I found a lot of escape in film, and uh, I'm sure that was a place I would rather live than in the real world to some degree. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, sort of, I think it started for me then, and uh, I think we'll certainly have an opportunity to talk about that time of uh, late teens, early 20s on this podcast today, but uh, I was thinking about yesterday. Uh, at one of the eight different athletic activities that my son went to yesterday, uh, split fairly between his mother and me, uh, I was uh, at his very first t-ball practice, and Peter was lining up and hitting the ball. And I, for some reason, while all these other way too overinvested dads are looking at their kids and yelling at them, uh, I couldn't help but remember that great exchange in searching for Bobby Fisher where Joan Allen and Joe Montaigne, Bobby, you know, uh, Josh's parents, are arguing. And she says to him, how many ball players grow up afraid of losing their father's love every time they come up to the plate? And he yells mm. back at her, all of them. Um, <laughs> I could not help but think about this as I'm watching my five-year-old just whack away at, uh, at a ball on the tee and just thought that um, even though I am not the most invested dad in my son's athletic future, uh, certainly comparatively speaking, there really is a little bit of that in every father and every son. I think that's true. And to your point, I do think when you grow up with film and with pop culture, it is sometimes like things will happen that will immediately, instead of processing what is actually happening emotionally to me in the moment, I will think back to uh, something that was similar on a Seinfeld episode or a Simpsons episode or a film or something like that. And that might speak to your point that, that the film's, are not just like a reference point for life, but that they are in some way more real than our real lives to us. Indeed, indeed. Jesus Christ, where do, where do we go from here, Will? I don't even know. What Straight we're down, to talk buddy. About uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've got a good palate cleanser for us then. Uh, you know, usually in the beginning of this podcast, we talk about what has either one of us seen recently that's worth commenting on. I got two yeah. real quick uh, in the in the thing to see and thing not to see column. First, not to see. 
you know, I have now disciplined myself to avoid seeing movies that I know will be terrible in theaters, even if I have a mild interest in seeing them. And I now no longer even, you know, will buy them or rent them on iTunes. But the moment they go streaming, you know, I'm like a dog with a bone. Uh, the movie that I saw that I recommend that no one else see for the rest of their natural lives would be uh, Jurassic World, A Fallen Kingdom. Um, oh, that bad, huh? I, well, you know, there seems to be a certain aspect of sequels or franchises now. By the time you get into the third or fourth, and in this instance, fifth version or fifth iteration of this movie, um, they really, it's like they surgically extracted uh, everything that was good or interesting or basically the point or theme of the original movie and replaced it with just something god awful but they throw in a little bit of references to the original movie for fan service. And, uh, you know, Jurassic world, the fallen kingdom is the apotheosis of that. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what's not to see a thing to see is a series that I just finished watching the first season of on Netflix. It's called traitors. It's a mostly British TV show with, uh, the addition of one notable American actor, uh, Michael Stolbarg, who I think you and oh, I are both great. The great Michael Stolberg is his official yeah. name. I think that guy. I mean, he's like what uh, Jerry Seinfeld describes as the value of cinnamon in any pastry or baked good in the uh, <laughs> the cinnamon babka episode uh, of uh, of Seinfeld. People love cinnamon. It should be on tables in restaurants along with salt and pepper. Anytime someone says, "Oh, this is so good. What's in this?" the answer invariably comes back: cinnamon, cinnamon, <laughs> again and again. Michael Silbark, he is that cinnamon. He's so good in just about everything. And I think this is actually long-term why movies will continue to suffer is that there's now so many great opportunities for great character actors to really be stars in mm. TV shows, Netflix or Amazon series or whatnot. Um, there really is a dearth of opportunities now for character actors because they're just being so drawn to TV shows because, you know, if you're Peter Dinklage... You spend 10 years being in movies, but almost never starring anything. And then, of course, you have a Game of Thrones franchise open up. And, of course, why would you ever leave television when those types of opportunities are so much more readily available than what films continue to offer? Yeah, it's not like there's going to be a sequel to The Station Agent coming out anytime soon. <laughs> if only. I know, it would be great. You know, Michael Stolberg, Seinfeld, you made me think. Stolberg would have been great on Seinfeld in some role. He could have played George, actually. Wow. He would have been a great George, right? There's been a little bit more depth to that character. Yeah, I agree with that. Anyway, thank you for the tips there, what to avoid, what to see. Uh, I want to talk about, before we get to our main topic of the day, I just want to talk about what we're going to do on the next episode. Because you pointed out to me that at the end of every episode, I say, what are we doing next week, Will? And we've not discussed it beforehand, and you, you don't have an answer, and why would you? So this time we've actually planned it out. Our next episode is going to be in two weeks, and we're going to be talking about uh, Avengers Endgame and probably the whole episode will be talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe as this upcoming film is sort of the end of this not phase because I know there's been three phases already but this era I guess of Marvel movies so we'll dig into all that and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it it should be a lot of fun but this week instead of looking at the future we're going to go the past and you know we're here in 2019 and we've wanted to talk about the year in film 1999 all year because this is the 20th anniversary of that year. And that is considered to be, by many, one of the best years for film ever. So I'm going to read a quick list of some movies that came out in 1999. Most of these are great. Even the ones that I don't think are particularly great are certainly important. 
to some group of people. So here, here's a quick list. The Matrix, Fight Club, American Beauty, Magnolia, The Sixth Sense, Eyes Wide Shut, The Iron Giant, Bean John Malkovich, Office Space, Boys Don't Cry, The Blair Witch Project, Election, Talented Mr. Ripley, Man on the Moon, Three Kings, The Insider, Toy Story 2, Dogma, Notting Hill, American Pie, The Green Mile, Virgin Suicides, Any Given Sunday, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, Summer of Sam. And then there's these teen movies, which I wasn't a big fan of at the time, but I know people love like Cruel Intentions, 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That. All those movies came out in 1999. And I know you and I probably have some, Will, that are our favorites that I didn't even mention there. <clears throat> but that's just a small snapshot of what we're looking at in this incredible year that we're going to talk about today. And I think the reason it was such a great year for film is that it was a year that a lot of the indie directors who burst onto the scene in the earlier mid-90s came into their own. They really went for it. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson took his capital from Boogie Nights and made it rain frogs in Magnolia. He made this three-hour personal operatic movie. Kevin Smith sort of made his Magnolia in Dogma, which is also a very personal, ambitious, mosaic film about the issues that keep him up at night. The Wachowski brothers, siblings now, uh, followed up the indie movie Bound, which was great, with The Matrix, which, you know, obviously we're still talking about all the time today. Anthony Minghella used his leverage from The English Patient, which won Best Picture, to make his passion project, The Talented Mr. Ripley. It was basically a year that a lot of directorial flowers bloomed. And the other thing that was blooming in 1999 was our friendship. Isn't that right, Will? It really was. It really was. That was a big year for our friendship because we both had gone off after high school to various places. And it not had the best year. And we both came home and we're living at home and working, working together, actually. And we hung out a lot that year. And none of our other friends were really around. So that was big Noah Will bonding time. And I think we saw a lot of movies that year, didn't we? We saw quite a few movies that year. The only one I remember seeing with you, I remember seeing Fight Club with you in yes. Stanford with Paul Taylor. Yeah. And, and that's it. But I'm sure there were others. Uh, but it was an incredible year for film. And you and I didn't have much else to do besides work and watch movies. So Thank God we had those movies. Honestly, they probably saved our lives. So sure. we're going to talk about those movies today. And I think the best way to talk about them, what Will and I have decided, is to look at the Oscars they gave out for the films that year. So these would be the 2000 Oscars honoring the movies in 1999. We're going to go over the six major categories and say, looking back with the hindsight of the last two decades, with the perspective that we've gained, what should have been nominated in those years and what should have won. So we're going to redo the 2000 Oscars for your listening pleasure. Are we ready to do this, Will? We are ready. I indeed feel that this is a, uh, a project long overdue. Because I, after that amazing year of film, uh, it was really probably the last year I was genuinely excited for the Oscars. So it was almost 20 years ago to watch them. And I was sitting in my parents' kitchen uh, watching the Oscars all by myself. My parents, you know, I don't know where they were. They, they were doing something. They wanted to, to get away from me, who was occupying <laughs> their home at the time. But I'm watching it. And as uh, each, you know, we didn't really have the internet to the extent that we do now. I hadn't followed it. I was sort of generally surprised. There were so many movies I thought would be nominated that weren't even nominated. Ones that were nominated that I sure uh, would win for whatever category. And that award show left such a bad taste in my mouth. 
down to the awarding of the Irving Thalberg Award, which was given to Warren Beatty, which um, I'm sure there are a lot of Warren Beatty fans out there. But you got to understand, that award for him was sandwiched in between two years. Uh, Earlier, it was given to Norman Jewison, you know, who directed, amongst other things, In the Heat of the Night. And then Mm -hmm. after that, Dino De Laurentiis, who produced or co-produced something like 500 movies over the course of his career. That's who you give the Irving Thalberg Award to. Not the, not, not the subject character of, uh, you know, you're so vain. Did he never win a competitive Oscar? Was this a makeup? Maybe. Like, he might have been nominated for Reds, um, which is a terrible movie. Yeah. I'm looking it up right now, and I'm not finding it. When I Google Warren Beatty Oscar, all I'm seeing is about his, the Best Picture Club from a couple of years ago that he announced. So maybe it was a, a, a makeup for him, but I understand your your problem with him. I mean, he's made a couple good films, but I understand. I, listen, I'm a big Dick Tracy fan. Unfortunately, I think most of America was not. Uh, okay, fair enough. And of course, the movie that dominated the Oscars that year was American Beauty. What? Uh, whose car is that out front? Mine. 1970 Pontiac Firebird, the car I've always wanted, and now I have it. I rule. I, you know, at the time, I thought everybody thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. It has really not aged well for a variety of reasons, one of which is just Kevin Spacey's presence as a pervy dude, not yeah. as cool as it was in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, by the way, nor was the concept that it was somehow a sort of act of liberation to be a yeah. pervy dude. <laughs> See, that's the thing also. Nina so, Suvari in that movie was 15 years old, and we were 19 when that movie came out. When I watch that movie now, she really looks like a child in that yeah. movie. And, well, back then, I didn't think it was so crazy that a guy would be attracted to her. But but watching it as an adult, it's it's a real problem. And I'm kind of flabbergasted that, that movie was as, as praised as it was. So I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of American Beauty in our redo here. But let's let's dive in. Why don't we start, as the Oscars do, with the supporting categories. Let's start with Best Supporting Actor. So Michael Caine won Best Supporting Actor that year for The Cider House Rules. Good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England. Also nominated, Tom Cruise for Magnolia, Michael Clark Duncan for The Green Mile, Jude Law for Talented Mr. Ripley, Haley Joel Osment for The Sixth Sense. To me, it's not a terrible list of nominees. What would you do to fix it? Well... I I would uh, I would split the award because I literally could not decide between who gave a better performance, Tom Cruise in uh, Magnolia, um, as Frank T.J. Mackey. Respect the cock and tame the cunt. Or uh, Jude Law in the talented Mr. Ripley. As uh, what was his name, Dickie Greenleaf? Uh, that's right, Dickie Greenleaf. They were both amazing. Just, just terrific. Yeah, I, I can't really think about. I was trying to think about were there other performances. Um, maybe Al Pacino for The Insider. Uh, that's a good one. Maybe. Um, but you, you, booed, you booed Haley Joel Osment. You're not a fan of that performance. It's ridiculous. It just he's a he's a kid. My my rule about the kid when you you put a child in there and the child is nominated. They really got to bring it. It's got to be an amazing standout performance. Um, I sort of go the other way. You think, oh, if it's a kid, you know, you should give him extra points for doing such a great job. But 
I feel like when children are on film, we just we give them so much more credence to begin with. So, you know, he's got points against him in my view. Did you love that movie? No. I liked See, it, but I'm alienated. I was alienated instantly by everyone telling me it was like the greatest movie ever. I've seen it once. If I saw it a second yeah. time, I, you know, every time I think of the movie, I think of Drew Barrymore and 51st Dates and how she keeps forgetting the day that she's had. And so she forces her father and brother to watch The Sixth Sense like every night for a year because she has amnesia. That's like a Lynchian version of hell, I think. Yes. Having to watch that movie. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually like that movie, and I think Hilly Joel Osment was good in it. And I think the movie doesn't work without a good performance in that role. So the movie was nominated for Best Picture. I think if you're not going to nominate for Best Picture, you have to nominate him because he's such a big part of it. So I I would give it to Tom Cruise for Magnolia because I think it's it's kind of like when an actress goes ugly. Like he's really subverting the qualities that make him a star, and that's mm. important. To me, it's like an important thing an actor can do, especially someone of his star power to do that. It sends a signal to others. Like it's, it's an important thing to do to show I'm not just going to be the Hollywood machine. I'm going to explore things. And he did it so well. And P.T. Anderson wrote an amazing part for him. He knocked it out of the park. The other performance that I, I can't believe wasn't nominated was Jason Robards in Magnolia. Yeah, it, it was his last role. He was dying of cancer while playing a guy dying of cancer. Sure that big speech he gives we've cited it here on the podcast the goddamn regrets it's an all-time like deathbed speech and uh you know if tom cruise got nominated i think jason robot should have been nominated too yeah i would have been happy if the nominees that year were split between two actors from the talented mr ripley and maybe three from magnolia yeah. you know you could toss in bill macy in there sure. maybe yeah. philip seymour hoffman again john c Riley, uh just terrific. yeah of course you know they none of them have a ton of screen time, so I think Tom Cruise probably gets the lion's share of any supporting male supporting characters in the show. And of course, there's no one who would have gotten best actor for that movie because it is a true ensemble piece. I think so, although I cheated a little bit when we come to best actress, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But we got to move on. But one thing I'm gonna say about Tom Cruise that is notable like, I wish he'd won the Oscar for this because I think it would have done better things for his career, you know, mm. in this. He did Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia, two of the darkest things he ever did. He was clearly going for that Oscar, and he didn't get it. And mm. he kind of had never done anything nearly that interesting again, which is yeah. a shame. Maybe he will once he ages out of you know jumping off of buildings. He'll come back to these types of roles. In another 20 years, that may be the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, let's do Best Supporting Actress. The nominees were Angelina Jolie for Girl Interrupted, who won. And kissed her brother on the mouth on the stage. <laughs> uh, for the Sixth Sense, Catherine Keener for being John Malkovich, Samantha Morton for Sweet and Lowdown, Chloe Sevigny for Boys Don't Cry. I uh, would not do that much to this list. I didn't see Girls Girl Interrupted, and I didn't see Boys Don't Cry. I'm going to assume those performances are fine. The only thing that I would change, I would probably get rid of Samantha Morton. I thought that performance was fine, but I'm a little tired of the Academy nominating women playing mutes. Like, there's something creepy about that to me. Um, and I would put in Nicole Kidman for Eyes Wide Shut. Maybe I think we should be grateful. Grateful 
that we've managed to survive through all of our adventures. It's a great movie. It gets better with age. And she plays a really pivotal role in it. She's doing something very similar to what Tom Cruise is doing. She's subverting their marriage. You know, she's putting this storied Hollywood marriage up on screen and showing all its ugly little flaws. And I think that's a really brave thing that she hmm. did. I'm, I mostly agree with you, though. I, I think contra your theory about uh, Tom Cruise and how good it would have been if he had won uh, the Academy Award. And I actually agree with you on that point. Uh, Angelina Jolie winning for Girl Interrupted, I don't think did her any favors. Uh, you look back at her career since then, it's it's almost like she did the serious thing. And then for the most part afterwards, she was in various uh, big budget films that accentuated her looks and her star power. But with the exception, maybe a movie like Changeling or A Mighty Heart. Uh, yeah. But those are few and far between her body of work over the last 20 years. The only one I toss in there that wasn't nominated would be Helena Bonham Carter for Fight Club. Condom is the glass slipper of our generation. You slip one on when you meet a stranger. You dance all night. Then you throw it away. The condom, I mean, not the stranger. Ooh, I like that a lot. I watched it again recently and she was tremendous. She just, you know, she, she just like Brad Pitt and Ed Norton, she really does command the screen. Um, and of course, that's a movie we'll probably get a chance to talk about in other categories as well. What about uh, Cameron Diaz and being John Malkovich? I loved Catherine Keener in that movie so much. I mean, she's not a person who I find conventionally attractive, uh, even 20 years ago when she was obviously uh, sort of in her, her prime. But she was so incredibly sexy in that movie um, and captivating. Yeah. I was, uh, she was, I think, probably amongst the nominees, I would have given it to her. I think that's fair. And I remember there's the scene where she's, she comes over to their house for dinner and they're both hitting on her really hard, <laughs> both John Cusack and Cameron Diaz. That was the scene they used during, like that was her Oscar yeah. clip. And she doesn't do much, but the way she's sort of playing to both of them at the same time, blowing cigarette smoke in each of their faces <laughs> with the same breath, it's really, really funny. And uh, I, I wouldn't have been upset about her getting that award. Uh, all right, let's move on to one of the big ones. Let's do Best Actor. Kevin Spacey, of course, won for American Beauty. Uh, Russell Crowe nominated for The Insider. Also, Richard Farnsworth for The Straight Story. Sean Penn for Sweet and Lowdown. And Denzel Washington for The Hurricane. I would do a lot different here, and I suspect you would as well. What do you got? Um, amongst the nominees, my pick would have been Sean Penn going away. But you really are a spoiled dope, you know? I take you out to buy you things. We'll go to the movies, you're fine. But the minute something doesn't go your way, I mean, I, I gotta go and there's no way you can come with me, right? I mean, you got responsibilities, you got a job, or you have a, a, underwear and socks to wash, and, and I can't have my life cluttered. I'm an artist, a truly great artist. And I'm not a huge fan of Sean Penn in, in, uh, in a lot of his performances, uh, but I, I, he, he was terrific in this. It's a great movie as yeah. well, which really got very, very little attention to the Oscars. It's probably my favorite Woody Allen film in the last 20 years, um, which doesn't say much about his films of the last 20 years since this movie was made 20 years ago. No, it was one of the last, it was one of the last great yeah. ones, though. I agree with that. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, he, and um, he was what Emmett Ray was his name, uh, the guitarist that he plays. Yeah, he was supposed to be the second best guitarist in the world after Django Reinhardt, and he just shows it. You know, in everything that he does, he shows it's the portrayal of a guy who's who's constantly almost there but never quite gets there. There's a weird parallel between that and uh, probably Inside Lou and Davis in a way. Oh, yeah, I like that. A guy who's just like the one who gets left behind, mm-hmm. who's great but not the greatest, and how that's actually a curse. Yeah. That's a really, really excellent point. Uh, you, beyond that, maybe Matt Anybody Damon. else you would throw into I'd the mix? I'd like Matt Damon for talented Mr. Ripley. And again, not I don't like a lot of Matt Damon's performances, but he's so good as Tom Ripley, as an utter sociopath who we still manage to find some type of sympathy for. Definitely. I mean, he is... He's the kid, the nerd who has somehow found a seat at the cool table and is terrified of being found out, but is also having the time of his life, you know, pretending. And that's resonant, you know, for anybody, I think. And I agree. His performance is incredible. I did some different things. I thought Sean Penn was great, but I just thought there were five better performances this year. I would leave Russell Crowe in there for The Insider. It's a terrific performance uh, where he plays an ordinary person, which he doesn't do very often. Tom Cruise for Eyes Wide Shut definitely gets a nomination. Matt Damon, Mr. Ripley gets a nomination. And then for my last two, Nicolas Cage in Bringing Out the Dead, I think uh, we, he think he's incredible in this movie. It, this movie gets lost among Scorsese's kind of mid-period works. It was seen as sort of a taxi driver derivative, but I think it really stands well on its own. It's an exciting movie. It's a very alive movie. And he, Nicholas Cage does a little bit of everything. He does some subtle stuff. He does some screaming and yelling. I think he's excellent in it. And my final pick is Matthew Broderick for Election. Election, this movie has aged so well. It, it seems to get more resonant uh, with every year. I mean, the, the very idea of a Tracy Flick character has so permeated our political consciousness. But Matthew Broderick's performance is amazing to me because when I first saw it, I found him very sympathetic. Even though he does some not great things, you understand why he's doing them. And the older I get, I mean, I still find him sympathetic, but I, I see him far more as the villain in the story. And I almost see Tracy more as the hero. And it's an incredible performance in that it, it can change over time before our eyes because he captures all these nuances, all the, the, the sympathetic nuances and all this, the really kind of villainous, you know, angry, left behind middle class white man kind mm-hmm. of nuances as well. And um, I think it's a fascinating performance that, that resonates in all kinds oh, of Oh, the ways. final narration on Matthew Broderick's part where he begins by, you know, <laughs> pitying uh, the character of Tracy Flick, Reese Witherspoon, and then closing out by screaming, who the F does she think she is? And I suddenly realized I wasn't angry at her anymore. I just felt sorry for her. I mean, when I think about my new life and all the exciting things I'm doing, and then I think about what her life must be like, probably still getting up at five in the morning to pursue her pathetic little dreams, it just makes me sad. I mean, where is she really trying to get to anyway? What is she doing in that limo? Who the fuck does she think she is? works himself up into a tizzy oh. like from from genuine sympathy to out, outright outrage Fantastic. great yeah good picks uh, thank you uh best actress this was oh i'm gonna say this was a weak year but the truth is i haven't seen four of the movies <laughs> uh, nominated here 
So I don't know. Hillary Swank won for Boys Don't Cry. Didn't see it. Annette Benning was thought to be the favorite for American Beauty. This is one of the ones where she kind of got screwed right at the last minute by a, an upstart campaign. Hillary Swank did that to her twice, actually. Uh, Janet McTeer in Tumbleweeds. Never heard yeah. of it. Julianne Moore in The End of the Affair. I didn't see it. And Meryl Streep in Wes Craven's Music of the Heart. <laughs> I also did not see it. <laughs> no uh, one did. Maybe those are good um, movies. You know, uh, there's a lot of movies in there that no My one wife saw. Had- my wife mentioned to me that we should have a woman on the podcast at some point because it's a little male centric. So maybe a woman would have seen some of these movies, but I have not. Uh, so not, I would not, do by the quite way, not a few my way. She's like, I'm not seeing those movies. <laughs> maybe your wife, perhaps. Well, here, here's what I would have done. I would keep Hillary Swank. I believe that she was good in it. I don't know why. Reese Witherspoon for elections got to be in the mix. And I think certain older people, like you and your colleague, shouldn't be leching after their students, especially when some of them can't even get their own wives pregnant. And they certainly shouldn't be making slanderous accusations, especially when certain young, naive people's mothers are paralegal secretaries at the city's biggest law firm and have won many successful lawsuits. And if you want to keep questioning me like this, I won't continue without my attorney present. She's incredible in this movie. It's it's I think it's her best performance, even better than um, June Carter Cash mm. in Walk the Line. I'm going to put Julia Roberts for Notting Hill in the mm. movie. In, in the list here. I think Notting Hill is a great movie. I think she does. She kind of starting that thing where she plays herself in a, in the, in movies. You know, she did it sort of in Ocean's Twelve, and that kind of became her thing. I think. And this was a movie where she really did it on the nose. She was playing a character who was basically Julia Roberts. And I think she's really good in it. You know, it's a romantic comedy and everything. But if you watch like her famous scene where she gives that line, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Fine. Good decision. Good decision. The fame thing isn't really real, you know. Don't forget, I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. There's really good acting in that scene. Like, she's very skilled, and we forget that sometimes because we just think of her as a rom-com queen, but I actually think she's great in the movie. Two more. I'm going to put Melora Walters from Magnolia in here. I don't really know if she's a lead but i think of her as the lead of that movie for some reason i think of her and john c Riley as the lead story and she does get the final shot of the movie as her face and that's kind of the the end of the narrative i think she's incredible a lot hard to play someone who's on drugs and she's on drugs almost the whole movie and she, she really pulls it off and my final pick for best actress would be diane lane in a walk on the moon have you seen that movie i have not she plays a jewish housewife in the Catskills in the late 60s. Her husband, Liev Schreiber, is down in the city all week. She starts an affair with the blouse man, the guy who drives around in his van. He's a hippie selling blouses to all the women, played by Viggo Mortensen. And it's a very passionate, romantic movie. You know, it takes place right around the time there, you know, the moon landing is happening in 1969. So that's the metaphor that they're going on. She's having her little walk on the moon, little passionate affair that she'll look back on fondly one day. And Diane Lane is great in it. I don't know if I'd ever seen her in anything before this. And I think she, she's, she's really terrific. So I would have liked to see her get a nomination and see the movie get nominated. What would you do here, Will? It's the rare instance where I'm actually going to uh, 
not so, agree with one of the nominees uh, as far as uh, American Beauty is concerned. Like I, I'm very anti-American Beauty. I didn't like it that much when it came out, but I actually think in this instance, Annette Bening should have won. She plays a character who is both uh, determined but fragile, um, just utterly unhappy so much of the time, yet finding these sort of small, intense delights at various parts of the film, often through sort of illicit or cruel behavior. When did you become so joyless? Joyless? I am not joyless. There happens to be a lot about me that you don't know, Mr. Smarty Man. And I was never a big Annette Benning fan, but she really, I, she was such a powerful character. Uh, in comparison to Spacey, who I sort of, I never quite felt that he occupied the screen. She is such a presence in the movie, I would have given it to her. Though I, I kind of get the um, the Academy picking Hillary Swank. It's sort of a, a parallel to them picking uh, Linda Hunt for, I believe it was Best Supporting I'm trying to remember if they, mm. they gave it to Linda Hunt as Best Supporting Actor or Best Supporting Actress for the Year of Living Dangerously because she was playing a man. Yeah. I don't remember, but in either well, instance, they gave it to her and she deserved it. But uh, yeah, and the picks were generally okay. I get why they went with Hillary Swank. Do you see Boys Don't Cry? I did. I will never watch it again. I'll... It's just a hard movie to watch. Because yeah. it's a true well, story. I know to you. And... Yeah. It's a, a very, very preventable tragedy in a lot of ways. I know for you, rewatchability is very important. It is. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, you would you would downgrade that a little bit. Annette Benning, I did think was good. She was very broad in that movie. Mm. And I guess it's, it sort of worked within the context of the film, but it was a little broad for me. You know, not, we already did Best Supporting Actor, but I would not have minded to see Peter Gallagher get nominated. Yeah. is the king. The real estate king. Yep. Like getting nailed by the king. <laughs> uh, all right. What do we got? Let's move on to best director. Now, this is a category in which I think they, they got it um, quite wrong, actually, I would As say. As they did in many uh, instances regarding American Beauty. Exactly. Sam Mendes did win for American Beauty. It was his first movie, I believe, which is it's an achievement for sure. Um, Spike Jones for being John Malkovich. That was a surprise because that the only other thing that got nominated for was supporting actress. So director was a, a bit of a surprise. Lassa Hallstrom for the Cider House Rules. Michael Mann for the Insider. And M. Night Shyamalan, excuse me, Shyamalan for The Sixth Sense. What would you do differently here, Will? Um, I'd kick Shyamalan out. I'd kick out Lass Hallstrom for the Cider House Rules. Cider House Rules is sort of good conventional movie at the time. But there was yeah. nothing interesting about it. I think that also got a cinematography nomination, which, if so, is ridiculous. Um, there's just nothing interesting going on in that movie for me. The fact that David Fincher and the Wachowski brothers, uh, brothers at the time, um, were snubbed in the nominating process, I think, is re-goddamn ridiculous. Uh, but agree. amongst the nominees, I would have given it to being John Malkovich. Just such an inventive movie um, between – I love the way it was laid out in terms of the, the different set pieces. 
this each scene is just so captive. There's just sort of, there's never a dull moment. The pacing of it is so terrific. And the journey that it takes you through where you don't quite know where it's going to end up. But when you do in the end, you feel like you've been through something akin to what, you know, what uh, John Cusack's character has been through. You know, that movie is largely thought of as a victory of screenwriting, you know, that Charlie Kaufman wrote this amazing script. But the truth is, it's hard to get a script like that onto the screen and have it make sense. And Spike Jones does it better than anyone else. And people will talk about Eternal Sunshine as being Charlie Kaufman's best film, but that one was not directed by Spike Jones. I actually disagree. I think being John Malkovich and adaptation are the best. And Spike Jones really has a way of turning that kind of insane, almost stream of consciousness kind of screenwriting into something cohesive. So I think that's yeah, a fine this, choice. The scene where they um, put the other... all the Malkoviches in the rainbow room playing different characters yeah. like you know, including uh, a woman laying across a piano singing malkovich 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 I just, that's very very hard to put up there malkovich malkovich definitely and have it not be ridiculous or have it be ridiculous in, in the mm. right way you know uh but given all of the choices i think the wachowskis should probably win just because of they invented yeah. a lot with the matrix that we are still using 20 years later. And personally, I would say PT Anderson deserves to be in there for Magnolia, but I have trouble separating my emotional connection to that movie with how good it actually is. I know most people say it's not one of his best films and it's a little too long. And even he has said it's too long. He but said it's too I, effing I mean, long recently in an interview. <laughs> Well, he may not be the best judge of his yeah. own work, is what I would say. I, I think it is a perfect movie. Uh, all right. Well, we're here at the, the final category now. This is uh, Best Picture. And this is a year when I wish there were, had been 10 nominees already, because I could certainly come up with 10 that were great. Here's what they landed on. American Beauty won Best Picture. The other nominees were The Cider House Rules, we've talked about, The Insider, The Sixth Sense, and The Green Mile, which we have not talked about at all what do you think of the green mile Will? i like the green mile but i would have liked it more and thought more about it had frank darabond not made the shawshank redemption four or five years earlier it's mm-hmm. just difficult to separate the two and not see this as a sort of lesser version of that movie i'm with you i mean when you heard he heard he was making another prison movie based on a stephen king short story the expectations were set yeah. pretty high i think but I love some things about Michael Jeter. I love Sam Rockwell mm-hmm. in it. Great David Morse performance. One of our favorite that guys. And uh, Tom Hanks is very good in it as well. So it's a good movie, but it, it doesn't really hold up. And, and this nomination feels a little bit like a um, runoff from Shawshank to me. I would agree. So what, what would you do with this category? Within the nominees, I would have gone with The Insider instead of American Beauty. Um, but outside of that, I probably would go with The Matrix. And yeah. and also, I wouldn't just go with The Matrix. I would say that that would be an acceptable award winner at the time, not just in the context of now where you know, a movie like Black Panther can be nominated. Um, but remember, this is two, or th- yeah, two years after Titanic won for Best Picture, a movie that had... Uh, a terrible script, some not very good acting performances, and um, 
really ran very, very long and was largely awarded uh, what it was uh, awarded with, you know, 11 uh, wins yeah. in, in addition to obviously the best picture because of the visuals on screen, because of what they were able to achieve cinematically. And I would say that The Matrix is a greater cinematic achievement. It's an interesting point. Is there a precedent for an action movie winning Best Picture? Was there one at that point? I know Lord of the Rings eventually won, but was there a precedent in 1999? Um, I don't think so. Probably so, like a war movie or something like that. I mean, did, uh, did Saving yeah. Private Ryan win the year no. before? No, that Shakespeare the, the, in Love won, I think. Yeah, and I think that was the following year, actually. Yeah. But So I don't think there was, and I think that's the problem. But now, if a movie like The Matrix came out and dominated the culture, the way that movie dominated our culture, I think it would win. Yeah. And I think that would be my choice as well. I, the Talented Mr. Ripley is really close for me because, I don't know, it's just a perfect, beautiful movie in every way. <laughs> so I have a hard time saying it. There's a movie better than it. But The Matrix certainly is a historic film and we knew that even at the time yeah so i could see your point there okay well that's the end of that part of it but let's talk about a couple things that we you know we didn't get to talk about fight club really at all we talked about it a little bit with helena bonham carter but i want to talk about it because i watched this movie again recently and i have some thoughts on it first of all i didn't like it as much as i liked it back then it was a little too slick for me given the subject matter and I think, I have to say, I see a lot of what's wrong with our discourse today in that movie, especially our online discourse. Like, if you think about Tyler Durden and the narrator, I think of Tyler Durden as like an online avatar for the narrator. He's a guy who gets to pretend to be however he wants to be. He gets to cause trouble and not feel any moral responsibility. Um, for all these internet he's trolls, a, Russian a lot of them... Twitter bot, basically. He's half Russian yeah. Twitter bot, half like angry incel, uh, which stands for exactly. involuntary celibate, uh, which is apparently a thing now, uh, trying to incite or any, violence. Or any of these, you know, there are some like right wing trolls out there. They're not all right wing, but a lot of them are who are just, you know, interested in owning the libs and triggering people and all Creating this stuff. Conflict. And, yeah, exactly. And he is totally like he's the beginning of that in a lot of ways. And it also made me think about how, you know, the matrix is similar in a lot of ways too. It's about our online experience. It's about having a real world uh, personality and an online personality where you can be whoever you want to be and you don't have to worry about how it affects reality in the same way. And those movies actually have a lot in common to the point where a lot of these right wing trolls we've talking about, we're talking about have adopted this sort of take the blue pill, take the red pill, um, verbiage of the matrix. So I think both of those movies really resonate a lot for me today, but I found fight club a lot more troubling than I did when we saw it back in 1999. Well, it seemed cool. Well, you didn't own a house or, uh, you know, <laughs> need to earn a living or live any kind of life that could be, you know, harmed by the predations of, uh, Tyler Durden and his, uh, his army uh of uh of fellow troublemakers whereas now you know um you wouldn't necessarily want those you know, wouldn't want the power grid or all your bank accounts being wiped out or uh you know no being physically assaulted by men in black masks but uh at the time you could sort of buy into the cheap thrill of the the burn it all down ideology 
I could, I definitely did. A 19 year old Noah was very into that. And also I found the violence a little more upsetting than I did in 1999. You know, this movie was only nominated for two things, I think, uh, or one thing, and that was best sound effects. Yeah. I think that's largely for the sound of fist hitting flesh, which yeah. is so almost <laughs> disgusting. In this it was kind of brutal. Yeah, really was. Um, was there any other movie you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? I think that the talented Mr. Ripley, besides just the acting performance that we mentioned, that really was snubbed in so many areas. Uh, it's also the only movie in a very long time, if ever, that I enjoyed Gwyneth Paltrow's performance in. Uh, she actually, everybody in that movie really goes for it. Um, and by, by the way, uh, also talking about best supporting actresses, Kate Blanchett, she mm. should have been nominated for that movie. She plays this horribly insecure, waspy girl who's in a way kind of a kindred spirit of Tom Ripley's without even knowing it. She's thinking the entire time that he is actually Jude Law's character, Dickie Greenleaf, and she's sort of looking up to him the way that Tom Ripley's character lo looks up to Dickie Greenleaf's character played by Jude Law. So just... Um, yeah. That was a breakout performance on her part. This is a year after she was in Elizabeth. And you could actually tell, it's funny, the things that you, you thought at the time, like when Angelina Jolie wins for Girl Interrupted, you think there's nowhere to go but up for her. She's going to dominate Hollywood. And in a way she did, just not in the way that anyone expected. And I think in somewhat of an underwhelming manner. But you could see from Kate Blanchett's performance in The Talented Mr. Ripley, that she was absolutely going places and that she was just going to deliver amazing performance after amazing performance. It was such a stacked cast. You got all these people like kind of right on the cusp of leading man, leading woman, you know, like Gwyneth Paltrow had not done Shakespeare in love yet. So she wasn't, didn't have her big breakout moment yet. Kate Blanchett hadn't had her huge breakout yet. Philip Seymour Hoffman is like the fifth person on the call sheet. And he would go on to become one of the best actors of his generation, probably the best. And you got all these guys in the same movie, Jude Law, Matt Damon, and, and other people too, good character actors in this movie. So that's really what makes that movie special, I think. You got an incredible cast. And I think that has to do with the strength of the script and, and Miguel's direction, his reputation as a director. It's so actually it a, a better movie than The English Patient, which I'm with... I'm with Elaine Bennis in Seinfeld uh, on that one. Which is, uh, the movie's just insufferable. Uh, I, I think loved it's it the first time. That, it's interesting that I said I use Seinfeld as a reference point in life. and It has come up now twice since then on the podcast, by the way. It's, it's the Rosetta uh, Stone for understanding all aspects of life. It, for us, it is, at least. I yeah, don't know I mean, you know, anyone else is wrong. So, yeah, but yes. <laughs> I have two other movies I wanted to mention that I'm not going to say are the greatest movies, but they're very funny. They're very good. They're important to me. Uh, number one is Dick. Have you seen Dick? Yes. This summer. Carl Bernstein, Washington Post. Tell me your story. We um know things about Dick. What? What? What did you just say? I mean, president. Comes the almost true story. <laughs> How old are you? 23. Is that your combined ages? There's no need to be snotty. Of two best friends. Whatever she's on, I didn't give it to her. So socially responsible. These girls are a threat to national security. Wow. It's amazing. Dick is the story of the Watergate scandal, but it theorizes that two teenage girls, played by Kirsten Dunst 
and Michelle Williams, his best friends, are inadvertently deep throat. And the movie sort of explains all that we know about the Watergate scandal with this explanation. And this was, of course, before we knew who Deep Throat was. It would make a lot less sense now. And it wasn't really supposed to be taken seriously. It's a, it's a comedy. But it is just loaded with funny people doing funny things. Dan Hedaya playing Nixon for the first half of the movie is incredible. Second half of the movie, you've got Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough as Woodward and Bernstein, kind of adversaries and comically getting on each other's nerves is great. Uh, you've got Saul Rubinek playing Kissinger. Yep. You've got Ryan Reynolds popping up in like the last five minutes and stealing the movie. And of course, Michelle Williams, who rarely does comedy, is very funny. Kirsten Dunst, who often does, is funny too. It's chock full of great comic performances. Dave Foley, I believe, played H.R. Uh, Haldeman. Uh, Foley is in there. Jim Brewer is in there. I mean, yeah. it's like a murderer's row of funny people in 1999. It's really great. And the casting of Hedaya was inspired because you don't look at that guy and think Nixon, but he really found what was funny about him. I thought yeah. he was great. Another movie I want to mention, I actually think this movie would be an awards contender if it came out today. And that movie is Life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. came out in 1999. It's a movie that takes place, I think, in the 20s. It starts in the 20s. And it's about two guys who are thrown together uh, on a, like a bootlegging operation. And they get thrown in jail, uh, wrongly accused of murder by a, a racist uh, Southern uh, police chief. And they end up in this jail uh, prison filled with other uh, great black comic actors, most of them comic, Bernie Mac among them, uh, other, other recognizable faces. And it takes place over the course of like 60 years as they do their life sentence in this jail. And eventually they get out at the very end. Uh, but it's an incredible movie uh, that really gives voice to things that were not voiced before about race uh, in a funny way. It's got maybe the last great Eddie Murphy performance in it. Him and Martin Lawrence have terrific chemistry and Murphy's really good. And it strikes a great tonal balance between comedy and drama directed by Ted Demi, who did that very well in Blow and Beautiful Girls as well before he passed away tragically young. I think it's a great movie and I don't know that it would be nominated for Best Picture today, but I could see it like premiering at the Toronto Film Festival and having some maybe critics awards as this as the the season went on because we have more respect for these kind of movies than we used to. And it's the last Eddie Murphy or Martin Lawrence film that I've seen that I actually laughed at. So it's got that going for it. <laughs> All right. That's tepid praise, but I guess I'll take it. <laughs> um, one last thing. I'm sorry. I'm going on and on and on, but there was no animated movie category yet in 1999, but if there were, this would have been a stacked year with Toy Story 2, The Iron Giant and the South Park movie all completely different, all equally great. I would have liked to see those three movies duke it out for best animated feature. Well, if I could just hop on that for one tip, because you're right, there wasn't an animated feature at the time. But um, if you recall, there were a number of really good uh, best original songs that year that were nominated. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, Amy Mann for uh, Magnolia. I believe it was yeah. uh, Save Me was the title Save of that song. Just... Uh, Really terrific performance. And then, of course, there's a, a number of great songs, very, very funny songs, but also really well-constructed in South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. And what did the Academy do? They gave it to Phil Collins for <laughs> You'll Be In My Heart uh, in the movie Tarzan, which is not a memorable film. It was almost sort of like a, it was an establishment backlash against South yeah. Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, um, which... Uh, 
actually South Park, uh, there was an episode which dealt with it very, very well in which they had a Phil Collins-like character revising the song to be uh, You'll Be In Me, Deep Inside of Me. (laughs) It was a cheap shot that like Phil Collins, his character is holding the Academy Award every time he's singing this song. (laughs) It was a bit on the nose. Well, I remember those guys, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, being interviewed before the Oscars and saying, it might have even been on the red carpet, you know, they showed up in drag uh, on LSD. Uh, they, somebody asked them, like, do you think you're going to win? And they were like, oh, we know we're not going to win, and we just don't want to lose to Phil F. and Collins. And of course, that is, of course, that's what happened. The dynamic was set from the beginning. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Will. I think we've established that 1999 was an incredible year. Maybe 2019 will end up being just as good. What do you think? Could be. Could be. I don't know if, uh, I don't know. We've seen a couple of movies so far that I think we've enjoyed and were maybe memorable in the years to come. Uh, a few less so, but uh, I'm optimistic. So we're going to get together in a couple of weeks and talk about Avengers Endgame and uh, say goodbye to this era of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And until next time, we'll see you at the movies. Saturday night at 8 o'clock I know where I'm gonna go I'm gonna pick my baby up And take her to the picture show Everybody in the neighborhood Is dressing up to be there too